Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be doing a season one wrap up and discussing what we've learned. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Did you know this show had seasons? I mean, I did. I don't know if we've communicated that to our listeners. And so I don't you know did. how. This is a shock to me. I'm learning it right now. I don't know. Are you gutted? I'm gutted. Hashtag. <laughs> yeah, it's a surprise. Surprise finale. But just because there's a finale to season one doesn't mean there's not going to be a season two. The show's yeah. already been greenlit for a season two. Correct. We will be back. So what we're going to do today is sort of talk about what we've learned. I think, despite Maddie's comments to the contrary, we did always know this was going to be a a season and then we were probably going to take a break to sort of regroup and absorb some more content and be able to come back with a full season two. I mean, I wish that we had time to only ever be consuming content to then talk about that on the podcast, but we do both have full-time jobs. So unfortunately... We need a, a watching season yes. in between the And we've gotten season. some really great suggestions. I know we were able to fit in a couple of suggestions, listener suggestions in this season, but we definitely have gotten several more and we want to take some time with them as well. And we would like even more than that because in this off season, we do plan to obviously be coming up with a bunch of new things to talk about and we would love to like crowdsource that process because obviously we haven't seen everything (laughs) so if there's anything that you guys think of that would be you know ripe for discussion please send it our way I think we'll also when we come back be able to revisit some of the things we covered in our first season we know some revivals Mm -hmm. have already happened we know some revivals are on the horizon so it'll be interesting to see you know what happens with that that teen wolf revival if anything yeah the movie who knows yeah but i mean Um, honestly i don't know when that's gonna come out so we'll see if it's out by the time we come back yes with many other things right yeah so so in addition to coming up with more content what i there are i think a few reasons why we're taking a break one of them obviously professional reasons i mean need need we say more (laughs) need we say more But yeah, coming up with the ideas for another season. And we also, surprise, surprise, have another project in the works that, just to tease, we will be talking about later in this episode. Yes. So stay tuned. Yes. But in the meantime, we didn't want to just end it on uh, that Supernatural finale, even though, boy, we could have, because there's plenty to think about there. We wanted to take some time, and we've done this for basically a year at this point, and I feel like we've... We've learned a lot and we've thought about a lot of things we never considered before. So we wanted to do like a, let's sit down and talk about what we've learned. We've How learned we've a lot. changed and grown as people. Yeah, we've grown a lot. <laughs> the time we've had. Yeah. So I guess in no, you know, particular order, we're, we will just go through uh, the things that have changed in our perspectives over the course of this time. And I think we should start with you because when we entered this podcast I was already somebody who like had some awareness of you know fandom and the stuff we've talked about in all of these episodes and you were coming more from the perspective of like an outsider like didn't necessarily get why people were into it and so how has your experience uh changed that maybe so yeah this has been great for that I think as we're going to also talk about when we talk about our next project this is a topic area I've been interested in for some time, but because mm-hmm. I guess there's something wrong with my brain, I need structure <laughs> to like accomplish things. So having we to need like deadlines, people, <laughs> I need deadlines. So having this podcast as a structure to explore this topic that I was interested in obviously motivated me to do that. And I think I've really grown to appreciate a number of different reasons people engage in fandom. I think we talked about sometime in the last couple episodes that, you know, we were doing more scholarly work at the beginning that was really diving into those theories of why people engage in fandom. But as 
you all know, if you've listened to all the episodes of the podcast, I had my own transformative experience with Starsky <laughs> and Hutch, which we can talk about oh, a little Starsky bit as Hutch. well. But yeah, you know, a number of the reasons that I've learned people engaged in fandom still don't necessarily like resonate with me personally, which is not meaningful in any way, right? Like that right. doesn't have to be the case. But yeah, I do feel like I have a, a better understanding of what those reasons are. Now, there is one reason that we came across that we did not talk about in the podcast because it didn't come up in scholarly literature. And I think we do just want to touch on it briefly. But it came up in response, not directly to us, to our Ships Were Not Covering uh, episode. Uh, yeah, we just saw, we like witnessed a little bit of Tumblr discussion about something that neither of us had like really considered before and it intrigued us. So obviously... By the very nature of this podcast being about queer baiting, we've been coming at the idea of shipping from like the the what's on the screen perspective, if you will. Mm-hmm. So both of us, I think, sort of inherently viewed shipping as a thing people did for characters that had on screen chemistry or were, you know, there was a lot of subtext to their relationship. All things that the the writers and the actors are like actively putting onto the screen. Yeah. Um, but when we did our Ships We're Not Covering episode, we saw some discussion about one of the ships we discussed, Mycroft and Lestrade from Sherlock, BBC Sherlock, which I think was really intriguing to us because it was people talking about shipping in a way that we had not heard discussed before. Yes. So I guess just to briefly recap, I think our perspective on that ship was, you know, there's not a, a ton of evidence for it in the text of the show, but... You know, you can kind of have an understanding like, oh, Lestrade breaks down Mycroft's walls and like that's sort of the trajectory. And what we saw was like, yes, that's correct. But the the reason people, a lot of the people in the in the comments were attracted to those two characters is because they related to them. And then I guess by extension, wanted to ship them. Right. So it was people were coming at it, obviously, like, if anybody disagrees with how we're characterizing their comments, let us know. But the, the vibe we got was like, I myself really identify with these characters. Like, you know, say middle-aged person who is like really done with everyone's shit. And I just like identify with the personalities of both Mycroft and Lestrade. And therefore I like the idea of the two of them together because I guess because I like empathize with them. Which was a n- version of shipping. Like, obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, people can ship whatever characters they want for any possible reason. But I think yes. it was just not how the two of us had conceptualized shipping before. Right. That was a new motivation. And it wasn't something that c- had come up in the literature we had read either. So someone needs to incorporate that into the to the scholar scholarly work as well yeah if any people who write about fandom and shipping are listening to this like this is something to look into because there was not one not two but like several people who all talked about this being a reason that they ship Mycroft and Lestrade so I mean fascinating yeah but as you as you mentioned even more close to your heart you had your own personal (laughs) shipping fandom you know experience over the course of this so please talk to me about our beloved Starsky and Hutch. I would love to talk to you about Starsky and Hutch. So yeah, I think I think you had raised this even before we watched that any Starsky and Hutch is a, a potential way for me to get into shipping and, and fan fiction sort of beyond where I was, which was like, you know, we said it in the intro to this podcast, like, yes, we all watch things and see a lot of evidence on screen or like, oh yeah, they should kiss. But how do we get how do we get me to that next step? I think. That's yeah. How question. do we get you to the place where it's like, yeah, they should kiss. And I want to see someone, you know, right. Tell this. me how that might happen or whatever. Yeah. And I think, you know, you had said I needed to get to a place where I love the characters more than the content of the show. And that is a thing, a, a rare thing for me. Cause usually when yeah. I love something, I kind of love it wholly. And I'm like, I love this whole thing. And in line with the, the conversation we had in the Star Trek episode of like, I don't want to read a thing that's not the whole thing. But as we discussed in our Starsky and Hutch episode, right? Like the fan fiction itself is often like an episode of the show because it's her comfort. The the show is entirely her comfort. (laughs) I mean, not entirely, but mostly. (laughs) It's it's largely her comfort 
or even if it's, you know, a fluffy, a, a, not a unicycle, but like a fluffy story, like sometimes the boys are undercover and they're just having a good time. And it's a real yeah. fluffy time on the show because <laughs> yes. they have so much fun every time they're undercover. But, you know, as again, if you didn't listen to our Starsky and Hodge episode, you really should. It's a great episode. Yeah. I mean, stop listening to this episode and go back to listen to that one because it was a whole experience. Yes, uh, and you can see our, our journey with it as well there, or here rather. And then, yeah, the other thing with Starsky and Hutch is because it's so episodic, there are all these significant gaps in the story. <laughs> significant gaps. Like, uh, well, because none of, not only is it episodic, it's like truly episodic. Like the things that happen in an episode have no bearing on the things that happen in other episodes to the point where, as we discussed, like Hutch gets forcibly addicted to heroin in one of the episodes to the point where he is like strung out and offering information about his girlfriend because he needs heroin so much. And then they drive out in the episode and it's never mentioned again. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, you know that the heroin addiction did not just go away forever. <laughs> or there's a two-parter where there's this huge conspiracy where people are getting new identities and being kidnapped and like brainwashed in this facility. And they're like, I guess we'll never find out who did that. And you're like, I, I guess right? we won't. <laughs> And that that story in particular led to a fic that we discuss on the episode, like a legendary Starsky and Hutch fic called Mojave Crossing that stepped in to be like, we need to know what was going on here. <laughs> so and then on top um, of even that, right, there's season four, which is itself oh. just like a baffling thing <laughs> that needs to be explained. So you can kind of come at the Starsky and Hutch fan fiction from all these different directions that I do appreciate yeah. of like explaining inconsistencies explaining just like who was brainwashing all those people <laughs> and really feeling like an episode of the show yeah. and starsky and hutch are so well characterized that i think you know yeah. and all the to, while it's not to say it's, it's really easy to write anything but it's relatively easy right. to get their voices and be like yep that sounds sure. like starsky but also it's just that like they're so lovable like i, I just want to spend time with them all the time like more than there is of the show i want starsky and hutch hanging out constantly all of the episodes of the show are not enough starsky and hutch but i think all of that goes hand in hand with like the show has it many flaws it is not a perfect piece of media there are episodes no. that no one should ever watch of that show yeah the characters are so great and it is something that you know is worth putting in the time to like make more perfect I guess <laughs> if you have if you have the ability to do so so I'm delighted that whole experience has been great I'm so glad that Monica suggested that we watch it I I feel like my life is enriched because we watched it and it made our, the goal of the podcast happen <laughs> because yeah. you had your own fandom experience I, I did it's oh, yeah we, we definitely joked like if for no other reason, the fact that we got introduced to Starsky and Hutch was enough reason to do this podcast. Like, obviously, we did yeah. it for other reasons and we had a good time. But, oh boy. Maybe you what had an a good time. I thought every other episode <laughs> of this podcast was torture. What an outcome. What an outcome. So bless them. Love Starsky and Hutch. Super happy that they're in my life now. And, um... Just because like, I just want him around. Under what other circumstances would you ever have watched Starsky and Hutch? Probably none. I mean, I'm sure I watched the Ben Stiller Owen Wilson movie when it came out in 2004. But if that didn't drag you into the fandom, which apparently it did drag a lot of people into the fandom. Which there was great. a Starsky and Hutch resurgence in 2004. But if that didn't do it, I don't think either of us were ever going to find it because it's not something that you come across you really have to seek it out it's not streaming on any you yeah know, in any normal way so thanks uh, again monica thank you monica thank you thank you so yeah i think that's been a worthwhile outcome of the podcast is that you have a greater appreciation and understanding of transformational fandom I do. Look at that. I guess we could stop there, but we won't. We have so much more to say. <laughs> we do. We've learned other things. We've done also, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast wanting to track some potential patterns around the types of fix that were most popular within different fandoms. So we're going to wrap back around to that as well. Right now. And th yeah, right now. 
Come back later for that right now. This has been an interesting one because when we started the podcast, and I think this was wholly an accident that this ended up happening, but the first several episodes that we did, we found that the most kudos fic, which is the one that obviously we talked about in every episode, in a bunch of ships in a row was like a short couple thousand words fic, not explicit, super fluffy, just like the guy's hanging out together and then maybe kissing was like the premise of all of the first fics that we read. And so we started to get this theory going in our minds, like maybe for every fandom, the most popular fic is going to be short and fluffy and not explicit because that's just the thing that like the most people can read and like, which in theory might actually be true. I don't That might be a true fact, but that didn't bear itself out in the results of what the most kudos fic is. The results that we got, I'm not going to lie, I'm not entirely sure what they mean. <laughs> so yeah. what we will do is give you just like the, the stats, the initial results, and then see if we can draw anything of significance out of them. So we counted up the number of most popular fic in each of the fandoms that are either long or explicit or short and fluffy. So like neither of those things. And where we came out is, I guess there were the fewest who had uh, long fics as their most popular. Mm -hmm. There were five of the 16 we will be talking about that had a long fic at the top and i guess let's see if there's anything that these have in common (laughs) the five are supernatural gotham hannibal teen wolf and starsky and hunch do we want to discuss these now or do you want me to run through everything let's discuss them now okay so to me what jumps out about these is at least four of the five are like similar in my mind you've got genre like for lack of a better word, like geek shows yeah. <laughs> with Supernatural, Gotham, Hannibal, Teen Wolf, I find to be pretty, you know, like obviously they vary, but similar. They're also like dark. And by that, I don't mean yeah. like gritty. I also mean like they take place at night. <laughs> that's true. They are <laughs> night shows. Maybe that's the answer. Starsky and Hutch also is such like a niche thing that I yeah. guess I also would probably throw it into like a you know, it's not like a mainstream, you know, fandom. And a lot of it takes place at night, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever that means, those are the ones with we the We put that in my notes. I just realized that all these shows take place at night. Night <laughs> equals long. Night equals long. So then when we look at fandoms that had explicit content in their most popular fix, we come out at about like half-ish of them, seven of the 16. So those are Hannibal, Leverage, James Bond, Hawaii Five-0, Gotham, Starsky and Hutch, Supernatural, and our, oh no, that's the seven. We did notice explicit content in the fic for things that we're not really talking about. Like there was some explicit content in the fic we read for our 80s action movies episode and in our comedies episode and in our Lord of the Rings episode, but none of those were like specific fandoms that were easily quantifiable so we're yeah we pulled out lord of the rings because i think we didn't really use ao3 or maybe we did but like we used ao3 but it we weren't talking about one ship in particular right and you know it was just i because i definitely read some stuff for gimli and legolas and some stuff for mary and pippin and it was just like not clean so we're removing that one from the statistics um so that's about half, whatever that tells you. <laughs> and then the on the other side, the fandoms that had short fluffy fix as their most kudos, also seven out of 16. So those are the MCU, Star Wars, Good Omens, Harry Potter, Sherlock, X-Men, and Star Trek. So we're split down the middle there, <laughs> interestingly. I guess we tried to look at like, where if if there's something in common with where each of these groups fell on the queer baiting scale there really wasn't know that there is not really i don't know that there's anything like related about the content of the shows i i guess the short fluffy ones most of our like super mainstream fandoms fall there so Mm -hmm. mcu and star wars and harry potter and x-men 
And, you know, it's funny to me that Star Trek is here. That is popular, but I also feel like it belongs in the geek shows. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, does anything jump out at you as like a conclusion here? Or is the answer just, it's all random? Yeah, I think the the answer is there wasn't a pattern. So like, you know, which is fine. Sometimes you, you do a little science and you're like, our results are... No results. I don't know. <laughs> I really, what I feel like would be helpful, like if we were actually scientists who actually studied this, what you would want to do is like a full survey of each of the fandoms, right? Yes. Like, because whatever is the most kudos is not necessarily significant. It might be the most kudos by a couple of votes. It might be like an outlier because it's written by this one very specifically popular writer or something. It doesn't necessarily speak to the content of all sure. of the works no i think that's um, fair this is not a rigorous analysis of these fandoms this was a you know just a we saw what we saw and based on what we did i can't say anything like i if you presented me with a fandom i would not feel comfortable trying to make a prediction about what kind of fic would be the most kudos i think what's really funny and interesting about it is just that we got so many of them in a row at the start. Like this is not something we probably would have even been thinking about if we hadn't noticed a trend at the beginning that yes. ended up just being random statistical noise. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that there's anything to draw from this, but I am intrigued. It's, you know, it's not, not interesting. I just don't know what any of it means. I'm glad we revisited it because we did set out from basically the very beginning to, to track that and we tracked it. Oh boy, did we track it. Yep. Another question that we have discussed a lot over the course of this podcast is what is canon? Like all of the various, various facets of this, who decides what's canon? You know, is are there different definitions based on fandom, based on who's talking about it? All of these are... Are there like different levels of canon? Can things be like kind of canon? Are all the questions that we've discussed. So has a specific answer jumped out to you as like, here is definitively what canon is? Well, I feel most comfortable with, despite some recent examples, that what is in the text, what you see on the screen mm -hmm. is canon. I guess I'm kind of in the Neil Gaiman school things, right? And like anything outside of the text, not as much canon. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, we've discussed all of these various types of canon because obviously there's what's on screen. But we've also had a lot of discussions about like word of God canon. So like mm -hmm. if the creator of the show says it's canon, even though it's only maybe implied on screen, does that mean that it's canon? Or are the fans allowed to be like, well, what does the writer know? Yes. And if the fans are allowed to be like, well, what does the writer know? That leads into death of the author, which we also have talked about a lot. Because does the writer get to decide? I feel like people have come out on various sides of this in each fandom we've been in, depending yes. on their relationship with the author. It's funny how authors get more credible when they say things that you agree with. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Also, I think there's the question of like, do, uh, the, you know, not to be crass, but do they need to kiss or whatever for it to be canon? Like, right. is, a, is a love confession canon? Supernatural, supernatural. Or like, is very unsubtle subtext canon right yes it, there's such a interesting well, line well i think part of this question is too like and you know for tv and movies for visual media what counts as representation if you know a character says i'm gay but the show never allows that character to act on that is that actually sufficient representation for tv i think yeah, no, like it, it can it can vary, and we've talked about this, right? Like, yes, if all the straight couples are making out, and you have this one gay couple, and they never kiss or touch, you're like, yeah, that's. I think that's probably insufficient representation. Yes. But obviously, context it rules all because mm -hmm. if it's a show where you know some character says they're gay, but they never make out with anyone. But like nobody else ever makes out with anyone either, and that's not a part of the show. I think. You're like, okay, cool. Like, glad there's representation on this 
children's animated show where nobody <laughs> makes out with anyone or like whatever yes. you're talking about. So yeah. And it also gets into the conversation we've had around, you know, queerness of the good omens characters are maybe yeah. romantically in love, but asexual, right? Like that's yeah, still representation. Potentially, right? They don't want to define what they are. There wouldn't be, says Neil Gaiman. Yeah, thanks, Neil. He acknowledges he's dead as the author. Exactly. Um, but I think that some of that question is around, like, within... Because I think we've had, you know, some differences of opinion with some of the examples of, like, is this sufficient as representation within the context of this thing? Like, I think, you know, the Hannibal example is a great one because it is such a sensual, sexual show, and yeah. the amount of representation we get from Will and Hannibal is not as not there. We do get women sleeping with each other on that show. That's true. There's queer representation. But the Hannibal Will thing, yeah, I mean, it's all very their their romance is very mental. Yes. <laughs> but I yeah, it's it's interesting too because I feel like one of the things we thought was like pretty good representation was Gotham, which is completely unrequited. Right. <laughs> but very much like canon on screen queer representation. Yes. Even though the person he's in love with is not in love with him. Well, that can happen. That can just happen. It does happen. So obviously it depends. It depends. Like everything else, it depends. But I think what I have found to be interesting about that as we've gone through the process is that I feel like how like what fandom thinks of as canon is different from fandom to fandom yes like so that has been interesting i feel like it is a thing that each group of fans gets together and decides on their own (laughs) so i really i think maybe the moral of the story is like canon is what the fans decide it is more than anything else if they don't if the writer says this is canon and the fans say no it's not then like well, I think oh, it's, no. you know, it's unfortunately like a, anything else, what you believe to be true is up to you as an individual. Like, that's the reality that we live in. So, again, right, you could put something on screen that very clearly has romantic overtones and people can walk away from it and say, oh, it could be anything. And you go, I don't <laughs> think that's, I feel like you're gaslighting me, but I guess... Oh, in a post-truth God. world, you know, could be anything. What about the text says? It's rough. It's rough. It's rough. But anyway, I don't know if the <laughs> obviously the fans don't even speak with one voice either. Obviously, right. we are we are talking about supernatural as we say all these subtle things, and there <laughs> is, are different opinions within that fandom about what canon is. So. Yeah. And some fans will say, well, you know, the writer said this. And some people will say, well, the writer doesn't understand what they wrote, which can also truly happen. Has has been true. <laughs> has been true many times. <laughs> so the answer still becomes, it depends, right? It all. Yep. And you can debate it. It's all debatable. So we don't have an well, answer of what canon is. It I mean, I have, all the I, time. I have a personal answer of what I generally feel canon is, but... I don't know that that means anything. <laughs> no. Canon is whatever you decide for yourself. Yeah. So I'm intrigued by the whole concept. I mean, obviously, it's not like an actual concrete thing. It's a social construct or whatever. <laughs> We're all making it up as we go. So another thing that we talked about a lot that I think bears touching on in this discussion is both femslash and like representation of non-white people in these various fandoms yes that was very interesting to learn about as well as we were going yeah i mean obviously i i don't think it was like hugely shocking to either of us that sexism and racism exist in fandom as they exist everywhere else but it was kind of it was like pretty depressing how stark (laughs) it was looking at the list like the ao3 top 100 ships and seeing yes how few fan slash ships there are. And the fact that Finpo had the only black character on that list and that's going to go away next year because we already looked at the like yeah. upcoming most popular of the year ships and they're about to oof. overtake them. Yeah, that's a bummer <laughs> for a number of reasons, but it's rough, guys. It's real rough out there. Like, you know, these are people producing as a hobby, like you know, do whatever you want. But. Yeah, obviously we can't 
that you know demand that critique. anyone writes anything of it, it is a, right it's just a critique of a uh collective collective <laughs> um but yeah do it looking like running the numbers on both of those things has been unpleasant <laughs> over the course of this podcast save finpo and it's like that one makes me maybe the angriest of all of them because i love finpo the 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 property could not be more mainstream or popular the people making it meaning oscar isaac and john boyega could not have done more to like help you along with trying to ship them and still we end up with hucks Kai Lux, Armitage Hux, and Kylo Ren as a more popular ship than the two of them. It's infuriating. And again, not to be critical of anyone's appearance, but Oscar (laughs) Isaac and John Boyega are so attractive. Yeah, we're not being critical of anyone else. We're just being positive about Oscar Isaac and John Boyega. They're beautiful, beautiful men. I don't understand. People don't like to look at them. I don't get it. No, it's it's. Um, it, it, I, I I can't process it because it's like, yeah, and they they clearly are very board. in love in that film. Oscar Isaac is doing the most. He's doing the most. Did you not watch the neck clutching? He could not have given you more. He's leaving it all out on the field, guys. I don't know. I don't know. That's. I will never understand Kylux. And I, no one has so far met my challenge to come at me with their reasons that they ship Kylux. So maybe we just don't have any listeners who ship them or you're all cowards because wow, I want someone to debate me. <laughs> I mean, as we said, of course, anyone can ship anyone for any reasons. It's yeah, just yeah, very yeah. Do you hard think to- that people who ship Kylux do it because they identify with Kylo Ren and Armitage Hooks? I mean, I don't know. We need someone to tell us. It's just very hard for us to understand why you would choose them when Finpo. I don't think it's that hard to understand. I think the reason is that people like Adam Driver. But they don't like Oscar Isaac? That part is inexplicable. But the part where people are drawn to white men is, you know, clearly borne out through all of the rest of this show. So also like, why aren't people shipping Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac or Adam Driver and John Boyega or like, do they ever interact? Not that that means anything, but, (laughs) but do they ever interact? Yeah. At the beginning of the first one, uh, Kylo's the one who's captured Oscar Isaac. Oh, and John Boyega's uh, lightsaber fights Kylo in the first one. Sounds like sexual tension to me. <laughs> no one could see me, but I'm doing lightsaber moves as I'm saying that. I could see it and I appreciated <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Anyway, inexplicable, infuriating, but yeah. I guess we just have to accept it and move on. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll never be able to get anything else done. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But now let's take a moment, I think, to talk about the winners and losers of the pod. <laughs> Who came out looking shitty and who came out looking great? And then we'll also talk about like some surprises because I think there were some things that yeah. surprised us. So who do we think are the winners of the pod? We've talked about them before. We've talked about them okay. already. Number one winner, Oscar Isaac. I mean, Oscar Isaac. No one in the world could be doing more for you, fandom members, than Oscar Isaac. The man is out here single-handedly like running this ship in the press constantly talking about how we should ship them they should be together they should kiss they're in love i'm doing my best for you people <laughs> it's all he talks and about no one is supporting him well john boyega is supporting him well, but mean, other the, than that he's not supporting him they're writing comics Oh my god. Yeah, the fandom's not even supporting him. He's here for you, fandom, and you don't even appreciate him. How dare you? I, <laughs> I want this rest you, of this Oscar episode Isaac. just being me like shaming fandom members. Can that <laughs> yeah. be the rest? Of- the rest I know we said at the top again, and we do truly believe it's you know your hobby. We're not criticizing you as an individual. <laughs> but, but I am criticizing you as a collective. Could you not get behind Oscar Isaac? I don't, I don't know. 
He's so sweet. He's so cute. He's so nice. He's so into shipping himself with John Boyega. I just don't understand. Yeah. He referred to Timothy Chalamet as his sweet baby boy. Like, the man can do no wrong. (laughs) Come on, guys. (laughs) Come on. All right. So, Oscar, number one, winner slot. He gets the gold medal. I don't know who could possibly unseat him. But some, some other winners, because... On this pod, there can be multiple winners. Yeah. And one of them, I think, is Neil Gaiman. Absolutely. I don't think people will be shocked because we have like referred to him in a lot of episodes since we did the Good Omens episode yes. as like maybe the only example of a showrunner who mostly got it right because of his whole, I am the author and I am dead. Yes. <laughs> don't ask me anything. I have we, no we answers for you. What I put on the screen, and that's all I got for you. And uh, anything yeah. else is an equal uh, authority and in interpretation. So yeah, he's like, we can all theorize. I could, I have my own potential ideas about what is the happening with them, but I'm no more right than you are because all that exists is what's right there on screen, which I think is a pretty good move. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to argue with, you know. Yeah. Some other winners are from our most beloved show are Paul Michael Glazer and David Soul or Starsky and Hutch from Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. Both of them are, you know, champions doing it in the 70s, stuff that people can't even do today. David Soul was out there accepting People's Choice Awards and talking about basically how the, their relationship is a very special relationship between men that people don't get to see on screen, you know? Yeah, that the show is about two men in love. Yeah, in the 70s he's saying this. And Paul Michael Glazer, more recently, like this year maybe, talking about, you know, how friends can be in love, basically. Like, if he's saying... If we have to define ourselves as straight, I mean, I want every 70-something-year-old man <laughs> to be out here talking about, why do we need to define ourselves? Yeah. I guess if you pressed me on it, I'd say if I'm you backed straight, me into like, a corner, fine, I'm straight. But, you know, <laughs> but we can all be in love with our friends. Best friends, exactly. Come on. These guys are the allies that we deserve. Yes. Or- need but don't deserve i i can never get that batman quote correct um some other winners from a very similar vein yeah from another old ship are william shatner and gene roddenberry from our old classic star trek days as we talked about in the star trek episode bill shatner we all know him he's a character sometimes you were like (laughs) yeah sometimes you're like no no bill Bill. But he's, he's always Bill Shatner. And again, in the 70s, he was just on talk shows being like, Spock and Kirk are gay. Deal with it. <laughs> Love you, Bill. And then Gene Roddenberry out here talking about how basically the only reason the two of them aren't in a relationship is that, you know, Jim Kirk needs to have sex more than once every seven years. <laughs> yeah. But they're two halves of a single soul. And, you know, and you're like, all right. <laughs> Sounds like representation to me. <laughs> Again, why are we doing this in the 70s? But some folks struggle to do it today in 2021, 51 years later. (laughs) It's inexplicable. Our last winner, we already mentioned it earlier, but Gotham, shockingly a winner on this list. I never would have seen it coming. I didn't know anything about the ship before we watched the show. And I think it's pretty good representation. Again, just a terribly bizarre example of something where you think you have, a again, a canon confession of queer male love on the show, and it doesn't sort of reverberate through the internet as far as we were aware. I Honestly, I'm really working under the theory now that once you make something canon, people just don't, they don't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's old news once it it's canon. the energy because then people are like, well, okay, we did it. Moving on to the next thing that we have to fight for. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, you know, we've said a million times it is unrequited, but we get to see the characters deal with it and their yes. journey forward. And it's not, you know, it's, it's a thing that could happen. Yes. That's what's wild about it. And also the fact that it is queer, though it is like explicitly canonically queer, the fact that it's queer is not a part of the story 
at all. Right. It's just like a thing that's true about them that doesn't affect anything. Like his friend's not in love with him, but it's not because he's like homophobic. He's just not in love with him. So yeah, it's a shame, but it is what it is. Sometimes that happens. Love you, Gotham. Great work. Let's get to some losers. Because honestly, I think there were way more of these over the course of the podcast, which I guess isn't a surprise since we were focusing on specific instances of queer baiting but some of them definitely stood out as being worse than others and i think the biggest loser in my mind is pretty clear i don't know if you agree with me here but jk rowling jumps out as at the top of the table just the the worst person (laughs) for so many reasons this was one of our first sort of canon mind fucks where we were like okay dumbledore is Word of God, to our point yeah. earlier, right? Canonically queer. There is nothing really in the story, the original books, to indicate this. And then we get to additional story once we've declared him as being canonically gay. And not only is it not really represented in the story, it's also like horrible gay stereotypes. <laughs> and you're like... Well, and also it is maybe the most textbook case of queer baiting that we discussed in this whole podcast, because it's literally JK Rowling out there saying like, they are gay. They're, they're gay. Just like tune in and maybe you'll see them kiss, but then you tune in and there's no representation at all. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's, it's, I've never seen anyone do queer baiting this unsubtly <laughs> it's pretty crazy it's amazing so add that to the list of jk rowling's flaws mm-hmm. and another honorable mention for me as as one of our worst offenders is jj abrams and really i only say this because i'm in love with his quote <laughs> about finn poe just the I mean, we've heard a lot of people say a bunch of garbled nonsense about their ships, but that was an early example for us and really just sort of like exemplified the whole genre of quote about we made it shipping the, characters. The, the banner of our, of our Tumblr. Yeah. If you've been on our Tumblr, you've seen the quote because it really stuck with us and just, I mean. It's amazing. It's amazing. Another person... Who stands out as someone who went out of his way to piss off fans in an unpleasant way is Mark Gaddis uh, of Sherlock fame. I mean, I don't know why we're saying just Mark Gaddis. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure why we didn't put Stephen Moffat on this. Stephen Moffat is bad, too. I think that our Mark, one of our Mark Gaddis quotes was, like, worse than the yeah. Stephen Moffat quote. But oh, Mark Gattis called this the one who was really like, why should I write a gay? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Mark Gaddis is, I mean, we probably shouldn't be holding him to this standard because we've talked about how it's shitty, but Mark Gaddis is also gay and is the one being like, why should we have gay representation in my show? Someone else could write that show. <laughs> like, okay. But yeah, so Moftis generally, both of them, uh, seem to delight in pissing off the fans. Um it's it's its own new fascinating genre of queer baiting when they're out there adamantly yelling at the fans saying that there's nothing gay going on here as they continually write gayer and gayer television. <laughs> yeah. And also put commentary in the show that is critical of fans shipping yes. the characters. It's it's very adversarial. I think this is one of if not the most adversarial relationships we saw. Like as bad as JK Rowling is and obviously there's a lot of reasons for fans to be upset with her yeah it's it's not quite what's happening with Sherlock it's like they think fans of their show are dumb for liking their show it's like this weird yeah (laughs) I don't even know what the dynamic is there but they seem to actively dislike people who watch the show that they make another person who definitely doesn't get along with his fans and seems like a not great person in real life is His Peter Lankov. The people he works with. Anyone he ever interacts with in real life. Yeah. Peter Lankov of Hawaii Five O definitely seemed to relish the you guys are interested in shipping my guys? Oh, tune in. Tune in. Maybe something will happen. Oh no, fuck you. Steve yeah. was always gonna end up with <laughs> the woman who is hardly in the show. Oh my God. 
I don't know, guys. You know what we didn't put in our losers in our outline, but probably should be there? Teen Wolf. Oh, yeah. I mean, that got rough. That's <laughs> some pretty active queer baiting. Also, that one's a sad story because it's like the decline of the relationship between yeah. the creator and fans, where it started so promising. and It, it really like did. Him being like, ooh, what's shipping? Oh, shipping's fun. I ship things. This is great. I'm really into it. And then it turned into like, stop watching my show, except watch my show. Like, they're only putting steric stuff in the finale episodes of things right. so that people will tune in for the next season. Like, just rough. Just all around bad. Yeah. It's like Gotham achieved what Teen Wolf wanted to do. It's true. It's true. What if they had, because Styles is in my mind, canonically bisexual. Uh-huh. What if they had had him have like a crush on Derek and then Derek had to be like, I'm flattered, but no. And then that was like the thing. And then they, everyone would have felt validated. Like we saw all this chemistry and the chemistry was there, but apparently it was all on Styles' side. They and they could have just that. moved past it. They could have done that. They could have Gothamed. Oh man, opportunity lost. Gosh. Okay. And then our biggest loser in the show category <laughs> is uh, Supernatural. I don't know that people will be surprised by this, having just listened to four episodes of us talking about Supernatural. And I don't know what else we want to say about it, or I, we probably shouldn't get back into it. because it's... it's not, because it could derail this whole thing. I will say that, like the J.K. Rowling thing, is another situation of something being canon and the worst queer baiting you've ever seen at the same yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys it's did. Like, it. Remarkable that that's possible, and we've seen it more than once. But we have; it is possible, and it's infuriating every time. It really is the worst. Please stop. Yeah, but on to a more, I guess, potentially pleasant note. What were the surprises of the podcast? Some yeah, were so- some were good, and some were bad surprises. Yeah. So this was just things that, along the course of us doing this podcast, we were exactly that surprised by right so one thing was just like either bad or confusing endings you know supernatural comes to mind in the bad ending category and i think the thing that's spectacular about supernatural is it is somehow a worse ending than hawaii 50 which like which you thought would be the worst ending when we did that episode seemed hard to beat In terms of incomprehensibility. The Supernatural writers saw that challenge and met and exceeded it, you know? They really did. They said... Remarkable. How can we not wrap up things satisfyingly? What could we... Whenever we have the opportunity to wrap things up in a satisfying manner, let's do the opposite. But also, like, in Hawaii Five-0's defense, as you have mentioned... Yeah. They were like maybe going to continue with a different cast. Like there were some balls that were in the air, and but Supernatural knew it was ending. So like they knew for so long, well. they had so much time to prepare, so much time to prepare, and boy, they just fucked it up. <laughs> but in the confusing endings category, I think you probably would like to talk about the ending of Spectre. What's the movie? Spectre. I was like, James Bond, that one. Spectre. So this ending is not necessarily bad in the way the Hawaii Five-0 or Supernatural endings were. Also, it wasn't the ending, right? I haven't seen No Time to Die still, so I don't know what happens in that movie. But I've, I, my mind is still blown by it. I've never been more (laughs) confused by choices made and what they could possibly meet than the end of Spectre where Bond comes back to talk to Q. They have a weirdly like tentative, flirty, romantic conversation. And then it cuts to him in his car and there's a pan reveal and it's the woman he already walked off with. And you're like, what is this? (laughs) I don't know. It will never be explained. Also, I think the, the greater surprise of that one to me was just that we didn't end up thinking that double OQ was complete and utter bullshit. Cause I think as yes. we said in, in that episode, when we started this podcast and conceived of the queer baiting scale from one to five in our minds, what a one was, was double OQ. Yeah. <laughs> we were- and again, I rewatched Skyfall and I was like, I'm still there. I'm not, it's, I'm not really getting it again. Bond and Tanner. Oh boy. Did I they love have chemistry? Tanner. They had chemistry. 
but yeah, I got to that. I, I got to that ending and I was just like, you know what, guys? You I don't know me. what's happening here. <laughs> so yeah, that was a fun surprise. I always like when we come in with preconceived notions and then change our minds. It's always nice to be. Yeah. Yeah. A pleasant surprise, as we've already discussed several times now, is just Gotham and how yeah. delightful that was and how we didn't know that there was canon queer representation on a DC superhero show. Yeah. On- box and like, again like you knew? said it was beyond nick marvel pot right there's there's canonical other canonical queer representation on that show which is yeah cool. another the surprise for us was just like all of the things that happen with grindledore i think yeah we, we teed it up in the episode when we talked about this but we had planned to do a harry potter episode but we didn't know what that harry potter episode would be because we figured it would be like dreary that seems like what people talk about a lot and then have another plug for drapple Drapple. Uh, once we discovered Drapple, we were like, can we make a whole episode out of Drapple? Seems like a stretch, but would be worthwhile. But then when we stumbled upon Grindledore, we were like, oh, this is shocking. We knew nothing about it. And also it's just like what this podcast was made for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was like in the outlining phase, the one that we most like broke. We had like we had like an epiphany. Yeah. As we were. Oh, it was an epiphany. Yeah. To develop that. And then the, the best surprise of all was just Starsky and Hutch. Just the existence of Starsky and Hutch. We've and said it again. The, We've said it many times since we watched the it. The intense way in which we fell in love with that show. It's, <laughs> it's precious to us now. Wonderful. Another question that we asked ourselves a lot over the course of this podcast was, is there like a right thing for a creator to do? in this situation like if you're writing a show you're writing a movie people start saying hey those two characters that are you know those two guys those two gals should really get together we like them what then are you supposed to do (laughs) so this is a a synthesis of what we've learned i suppose in many ways there are a few options i guess yeah of paths to take that are potentially not bad honestly i will start this by saying i don't think there is a perfect answer because this is no a minefield to navigate it is option number one do your art don't answer questions yes if at all possible truly the the best person that you can be in this situation is bruno heller who we haven't mentioned yet but but yeah does anyone remember even remember who bruno heller is no he (laughs) was always there never there Bruno Heller is our is our Gotham showrunner who seemingly like maybe doesn't exist. It's hard to say. He I don't know if he never in his life got asked a question about Nick Mobblepot. I don't know. Like obviously none of the writers really had a lot to say about that shit, but he in particular was like nothing to say. Anything. Wasn't asked, couldn't find anything. He if if possible, just don't be around. Yeah. <laughs> just Never, there's no one ever asks you a question. You never have to answer any questions, and then you're fine. I mean, he came out smelling like a daisy, right? Like, there's no one in the fandom who's like, ah, fuck Bruno Heller for this. Like, I didn't see that once. (laughs) Another potentially good option, as we already discussed, is to go the Neil Gaiman route and be like, I'm the author, but I'm super dead. So, like, don't ask me any questions because I don't know. That's potentially a good path. I mean, yes. I think that is a thing a lot of people try to do, but you really have to be doing it in good faith because I think that it's apparent when people start to be like, I don't know, it could be anything. Like that well, sometimes reads. False. I think probably what you have to do is you can't have that response to only the question about what's happening with queer representation in your show. 100%. If you're willing to answer speculative questions about everything else except for that and be like, it's up to interpretation, that seems yes. fake. As long as you're consistent across all kinds of questions, you're in a much better situation for it to be honestly like, this is just how I feel as an author. I, I put my art out into the world. I understand it's a conversation and you will have a, a take on it, but that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, don't open yourself up to accusations of hypocrisy. And the way to do that is to just be like consistent. (laughs) If unfortunately you are forced to answer questions, if Bruno Heller is not the book for you, a a thing that is good to do if you are not the creator of a show, but someone else involved in the creation of the show, say a cast member, 
is to be a cheerleader for the ship because you know why the hell not be oscar isaac obviously you're not writing it no one can hold you accountable for not giving them canon representation but he can still be out there saying like i support you i'm on board and that's the best thing someone in his position can do yeah generally i think advice for everyone in these situations you gotta be honest about Mm -hmm. your intentions and about what you're doing because truly if you never have any any intention of making these two characters get together or whatever you have to be honest about that (laughs) like you you can't play the game of maybe who knows tune in next week because people are gonna get tired of that very quickly you just they're gonna get angry but you also have to walk the walk in the show so you can't do that and then continue to write in queer baiting within the show so yeah it's both of the things together you have to be saying they're never going to get together and you have to be writing the show in a way where it is clear that they are never going to get together you cannot do the sherlock thing you cannot do the stucky thing you can't be making the show or the movie more and more subtextually queer while saying to the public we don't understand what you're talking about they're not going to get together because that's one of the worst things you could do it's so frustrating it is but honestly i express my sympathy for people who are in these situations really i guess we didn't even say this but the best thing you can do is just let the boys kiss right absolutely (laughs) nobody is going to fault you if you just take these characters and make them canon then you'll get gotham where you made a canon and everyone is like okay yeah great love it i mean I still, we have not ever, like with Supernatural, we got maddeningly close and then they went in a completely opposite direction, but we still have not gotten an example of a show where people are writing these characters, they never intended for them to have chemistry, but they did have chemistry, everyone loved them, and then they became canon. I mean, that that happens all the time with straight couples, we'll it say. Does. <laughs> but I have not seen that happen with uh, queer couples. But that's a great thing. If someone can think of an example of that, oh, you please know, send I'm, it to us. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I've never oh. seen this happen with guys. It did happen on Glee. Right. With, with Brittany and Santana. Yes. But if there are other examples, let us know. And like, well, I think that would be a fun thing if that exists to visit in our season two as an example of, oh, they did let the boys kiss. Yay. Yeah. What happened I here? Just think, What's the story? I think that the like, you know, biphobia particularly surrounding men is too strong (laughs) and as soon as you've established a male character as having any interest in women it just like cannot possibly enter into anyone's mind that they might also have interest in men but i hope i'm wrong so as you said send us examples if you know of any god supernatural why did they fuck it up so much they got so close We talked about it for four and a half hours, Maddie. We, okay. I mean, we, I could talk about it more, but we should I mean, talk about it more could, for this pod. We could definitely talk about it more. And guess what, guys? We will, just not in a recording, because I don't know. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed our four-hour discussion of Supernatural, but on the off chance you didn't, I don't want to force you to listen to more. Oof. Anyway, I, every time I think of Supernatural, I have to like take a moment to get into a different headspace. But yeah, that's all the advice I have for people. It's hard. I, I sympathize. But being honest and just doing your best. <laughs> just just do your best, people. Just do your best. Be honest. Or, you know, be Bruno Heller and don't ever get asked any questions about your art. I honestly <laughs> don't understand it. He's like a mystical creature, but good for him i think a last thing to talk about is do we feel like things in the queer baiting landscape are improving generally do we think that there's less intentional queer baiting do we think that obviously i think there's more canonical representation as time goes by but i don't know that that necessarily means that there's less queer baiting (laughs) The thing, and I'm I, I'm sure we mentioned this in one of our many Supernatural episodes that I struggle with, is how David Soul in the 70s could be like, this is a show about two men who love each other and have a very particular relationship. And Bill Shatner 
you know, joking, not joking, whatever, can go on a, a talk show and be like, they're gay. But Jared and Jensen and, and Misha have to like flop sweat panic. It is a flop sweat <laughs> panic. And what's crazy to me about it is that they know it's going to happen and they never are prepared. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I, I mean, you know, some things are better. Some things are not, but like, I, it doesn't feel as linear as I would have liked it to feel. No. With that. Well, mind. here's what I think. A thought I'm just having now. Obviously, we've talked about how queer baiting is like a recent phenomenon because mm-hmm. it's a marketing strategy as much as anything else. And it wasn't until very recently that it was perceived as profitable to market to gay audiences. I just think queer baiting's not going away because attracting queer audiences is more important than ever. But we haven't right. gotten to a place in society where like, homophobia doesn't exist so there's right. definitely still this prevailing like and to your point have... biphobia right oh 1000 percent. which is so funny because i'm still struck i think every once in a while it comes into my mind that thing we learned from the femme slash episode about how many like young people and young women in particular are bisexual and it's yes. just like tons and tons and tons of them now <laughs> So yeah, the biphobia is like the thing that makes queer baiting for men in particular, I think happen so, 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 so much. But I, I also just think it's not going away until we get to a place where like, it's not an issue. It wouldn't be an issue for anyone to think of these two guys getting together. But I don't know when we're getting to that. All right. Do we have any other wrap up thoughts? I wish we'd ended on a more positive note. <laughs> yeah, we should have put some, we should put a, we should have put winners at the end. Oh, guys, just, watch Starsky and Hutch. Watch uh, Starsky and Hutch. Support if, if Oscar Isaac. One lesson. Yes, support Oscar Isaac. Watch Starsky and Hutch. Watch Gotham, man. Like, support them for that fun representation. Yeah. Um, and just generally. Fight biphobia in your day-to-day life. Yeah, <laughs> because if you can, it would be helpful. It seems to be the main driver of this issue in our society. <laughs> All right. Well, I do now, before we leave this episode, want to give people a glimpse into what our special extra project that I teased earlier was. Yeah. So once again, we've had a ton of fun doing this podcast. We've learned a lot, as you just heard. We will be back. At, mm-hmm. at some point we will return in season two of let the boys kiss with yep. a whole new crop of stuff and, and checking back in with some of our old stuff and if we get any more suggestions we'll look at that as well but part of the reason we're taking a break is because we have had this other idea uh percolating for a little while as i said at the top I need structure to accomplish things. And one of the things I have long wanted to accomplish is watching more important films. So I pitched this idea to Maddie. She accepted it, which I thank you. (laughs) Where we are going to be launching our, our next podcast. I think when we release this, it'll be in two weeks. So it'll be sort of on the same schedule as this podcast coming out, just in a different feed called The Oscars Got It Wrong. Hell yeah. If anybody is a movie fan slash Oscars watcher, you are familiar with this idea. How often are you watching the Academy Awards and they're making all of their decisions and you're just thinking like, I'm Green Book. What? what idiots made all of these decisions this doesn't make any sense how could this be the best picture how could this how could they not have nominated so and so for such and such so we just want to dive into this and the way that we're going to do it is by taking all of the best picture nominees from any given year in a randomly selected order and watching all of the best picture nominees deciding if we agree with what won deciding if we agree with what was nominated and coming to a conclusion about whether or not the Oscars got it wrong. Yes. So we hope you'll come over with us on that journey. If you enjoy us prattling on about things and maybe also We have so much more prattling to do. Filma, as we do. But yeah, I'm excited for that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And by the end of it, we will watch like 540 movies. And It is a huge 
like undertaking. I'll We've... never be yelled at again by somebody about <laughs> movies I haven't seen. That probably not still true. will be. Yeah. Movie nerds will yell at you for any reason. The movies that didn't get nominated for Oscars that are still like important comedies that I haven't seen that were sure, but... or even important dramas that just didn't get nominated. We'll we will about. dive into that as we go. So please join us on that journey. We hope to bring you all along. But again, we will return. We'll we'll be back with Let the Boys Kiss because we couldn't say no to Let the Boys Kiss. We love this podcast. Yes. And we will we will be continuing it once we have enough ideas for a season two. So again, send them our way. And if you want to send them our way, you can do so at uh, ltbkpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Tumblr at ltbkpod. I normally would say tell a friend to listen and new episodes come out every two weeks, but not anymore. <laughs> well, you can still tell a friend to listen to the back catalog at their leisure. Yes. And do that. new episodes of our new pod will come out every two weeks. Exactly. Every other Friday at six o'clock Eastern. But we'll be, I think, posting a little teaser for that in this feed. So you guys should get it and get a sense of what that's going to be like. And join us on that journey that's going to be like five years long or however long it'll take us to do 93 years of... Yeah. We should say that it's not necessarily our plan to do that whole podcast and then come back to Let the Boys Kiss. We'll probably end no. up taking a break in that podcast and coming back. So it won't be a five year plus break. No, don't worry about that. We will be back before five years from now. Yes. Um, but I hope that you like it. I hope you've liked this. I know I've liked this. It's been a wonderful journey. Yeah. And it's just been, it's been a blast. So join us over on the Oscars Got It Wrong. Listen to the back catalog of Let the Boys Kiss to tide you over. And we'll catch you over there. Thanks. <laughs>